Would you believe me if I told you that what God has gifted you to do is just as important and necessary as what God has called me to do as your pastor? A lot of people would say yes. Some people would say, yeah, I don't know, because we have this idea of these varying degrees of importance when it comes to giftedness. Some people think that people who are on platforms and people who teach the Bible are somehow more significant in the eyes of God, as if they somehow have some special access to God that is prohibited from the rest of Christians. That somehow because maybe they're a pastor that they have a gold star beside their name in heaven. Perhaps maybe it's almost like the Adam West Batman days where, you know, Commissioner Gordon has the red bat phone that calls directly to Batman. And when it lights up, Batman picks it up and talks directly to Commissioner Gordon. And that's how pastors are. And everyone else has to go through all of the different wait times and holding periods. And maybe you'll get through. Some people have this idea that that's how it goes in Christianity. And can I tell you that it's not true? Can I tell you that if you are a born-again believer following Jesus, having put your faith and your trust in Christ as the hope of your salvation, trusting in Him alone as your Lord and Savior, can I tell you that He has given each one of you gifts, and all of those gifts are needed and required, and all of those gifts are to be used for His glory, and there are none that are more important than others. There are none that are more significant than others. And today we're going to talk about discovering God's gift in you. And we're going to start by going to 1 Peter chapter 4. And this is really going to be the anchor of this series. So if you have your Bible, go to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be flipping around to different books and chapters a lot today. So it's going to kind of be like if you grew up in church and you did the old sword drill stuff where you had to like find the, the chapter and verse really quick. If you want to keep up, great, you can. Um, if you're using your electronic device, that's kind of cheating because you can get there quicker than everyone. All you got to do is tap a few uh, buttons or whatever, tap on your screen. But I would encourage you to just write these down either way and go back and study these. But I want you to know and I want you to believe that as we look at engaging in the call that God has called us to, that every one of us have a gift and every one of those gifts matter. Every one of them do. They're all required. They're all needed. There's no hierarchy. There's no bulk rate Christians, no second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. We are all loved by God the same. We are all gifted by God with the same importance to make an impact in eternity, no matter what your calling or what your gifting may be. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's look at verse 10 and 11 and see what Peter writes. He says, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, as we read this text, we can see a few important keys here as he comes right out of the gate in verse 10 and said, each one of us have received a gift. So that means that every one of us have a gift from God to be used for the purposes and the glory of God. And he gives the purpose to it right out of the gate. He said, you all have a gift and that gift is to be used to serve one another. And he says, this is how you're a good steward of God's very grace. What is a steward? 
A steward is someone who is taking responsibility for something that doesn't truly belong to them, but they're caring for it and using it and watching over it and using it appropriately as the owner would see. So that way, whenever we give an account to what we have done with what the owner of that thing we've been called to steward says, what did you do with what I gave you? that he will be able to be pleased with how we used what he entrusted us with. So you and I, according to the scripture, are to be stewards of God's grace. That means that the gifts we've been given, that means that what we've been called to do, what we are to use our gifts for, every single one of us, it is a response to the grace of God. It's a response to the gospel. In other words, Jesus died on the cross. He gave himself for me. I freely received this. And now, because I freely received it, my response is to be a good steward of that by the way that I use my gifts to love others both inside of the body of Christ and to serve one another within the context of the church and also those who don't know Jesus, those outside of the church as well. And then he gives a couple of examples. He talks about whoever speaks, if that's your gift. He said, do it as being speaking the oracles of God. In other words, it's not your ideas, your philosophies, your thoughts. Rather, speak what God would have you to say. And then he said, if you're serving, serve by the strength that God supplies in order that Jesus gets the glory for it. So the point here is, is that these gifts come from God and the strength and the ability to do these things also comes from God. It's like God is the one who has gifted you in order to serve him and to glorify him. So you can't take the credit for it. It's not like you came up with this great idea. It's not like you did something in your own strength. No, it's a total dependency on us needing Jesus not only for our salvation, but for us to be good stewards of the grace that he's given us by using our gifts to serve one another. Because in my flesh, I don't want to serve other people. In my flesh, I want to do what makes me happy. And I think that my happiness is the end goal of my life. And everyone marches to the beat of that drum. That's an easy song to sing, that I want to make myself happy. If it feels good, do it. If, if it makes me happy, it can't be that bad, right? And everyone thinks that that's okay just because I'm to pursue happiness and, and I'm to pursue gaining more for myself and getting more accolades and getting more attention and rising up through the ranks and everyone's trying to work hard to achieve that end but yet the Christ follower is called to serve the Christ follower is called to use their gifts to serve God and serve one another and here's the thing we are all called to the same calling we all have this shared thing that God has called us to. Yes, it may manifest itself in different ways, in different places, and different opportunities that may be in front of us. I understand that. But in general, as a Christian, we're all called to do some of the exact same things. So that means there's no hiding. There's no excuses. There's no, oh, well, you know, I, that's not really my gift. Or that's not my personality. No, no, we're all called to do a lot of the same things. And I'm just going to kind of flip through some scriptures here, here real quickly to show you in scripture where we're all called to do certain things by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 22, in verse 36, and we're going to read verse 36 through verse 40, 
Here the question is asked by a Pharisee teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And this is what Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So every one of us, it doesn't matter how convenient it is. It doesn't matter how, how naturally it comes to you. We're all called to love God and love others. Amen? Every one of us, if you are a Christ follower, if you are a Christian, we all share in this calling and we are all equipped by God and by His Spirit to be enabled and gifted to be able to live this out where we're loving God and loving others. And this becomes reciprocal because we love God because it's a response of what He's done for us by sending His one and only Son to die on the cross for your sins and for my sins, for the sins of the world, and that through faith in Him we can be saved. We can be made in right standing with God and He will make us alive, make us new again and bring us into His family. And out of that we respond by loving Him. And we love him because of the love with which he first loved us. And out of that love, it translates into not only loving God, but loving what God loves. What does God love? John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen? So God loves people. So that means that I love God and I love others because of the love God's given me. And what do I love others with? Because it better not be my own love that I possess within myself because I can be really selfish. I don't know about you. I can love with strings attached. No, I have to love with the God kind of love, that agape love. And as I learn to love God, it will naturally flow out of me to love others with the love of God. And as they love God, guess what happens? They're going to start loving others. And then those others that they love with the love of God, they're going to start loving God. And then they're going to start loving others. And around and around it goes. And none of us become the best at it. None of us get to a place where we stop growing in it. We're all constantly growing in loving God and loving others. Amen? We all continually grow in this process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ, loving others more and more like Christ. Not, well, I've done enough loving God and loving others, so I'm just going to kind of hit the cruise control. No, I'm going to keep growing in loving God and loving others. It's a response to the amazing gospel that Jesus has poured out his life for you and for me that we could be saved and that is our response, to love God and love our neighbor. Go over to James chapter 2, the book of James, right after Hebrews. James chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 17, if you're writing it down, he says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and you don't give them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So here James is illustrating the idea that a transformed life will be more than words. A transformed life will be more than just saying all the right church things at all the right times. Amen, hallelujah, praise you Jesus, and I know all the right answers and all the Sunday school answers are Bible and Jesus. And if I say all the right things, but then I see someone who has a need and I don't respond to that need, then I'm saying all the right things, but I'm not doing the things that show I really believe what I'm saying. 
And James is pointing that out here because all of us are called to help the poor and the oppressed. All of us are called to love God and love others. And God didn't ask our opinion on the deal. We're all called to do this, every one of us. And the beauty is, is that he's gifted us to do it. Amen, church? Go back over to Matthew chapter 16. Let's look at another thing that we are all called to. Matthew 16, this is Jesus in Matthew 16 and verse 24, where he says that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Every one of us are called to take up our cross and to die to self. Every one of us have this call. Yes, we're called to love God and love others. Yes, we're called to help out the poor and the oppressed and meet those physical needs and show them that love of Christ by displaying our faith. But we're also called to die to self. Every one of us. We are called to take up our cross. That's what scripture says. Jesus himself. He said, take up your cross. What happens on a cross? Something dies. What's supposed to die? Me. That Christ may live so it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. It now becomes Christ shining through me, not me. To when people who knew me before I knew Christ see a difference. They see a change in me because who I was, the things I did, the things I said, the way I lived, the things I valued. I'm different because I died to my former way and now I have embraced Christ and Christ is shining through me. And it's not, wow, Derek, you're a lot better person or you're doing great. It's like, what happened to you? I died. And now Christ is alive in me. And Christ is the one who's making the change because it's Christ who gets the glory. Not me because I became really good at self-discipline. Not me because I became really good at being a better person. No, it's Christ. Christ changed me at the core, at the heart level. Amen, church? But that requires that I die to self. And when I die to self, it no longer becomes about my will, but now it's about pleasing the Father. Now it becomes about what can I do to honor and please him? It's a response. It's me presenting my body as a living sacrifice, as Romans 12 and 1 says. It's holy and acceptable. It's a reasonable act of service. It's a reasonable act of worship. Paul says, I'm beseeching you. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Look at the mercies of God. How could we not respond by giving everything as a living sacrifice? We're still alive, but yet we're dead to ourselves because now Christ has made us new. And everything that I do is unto his glory. All of us are called to that, not just a select few. Go over to Matthew 28. I know that because of our recent series that we've taught here at BCC, some of you are going to know where we're going because you've heard this one shared a lot. Matthew 28, verse 19 through 20. Jesus says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What do we call this? Somebody help me out. The Great Commission. We call this the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is not just for a handful of us or just a few of us. It's for all believers. Amen? Every one of us are called to this. We are all called to go into all the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples, to baptize them, and to teach them how to live out their faith. 
All of us are called to do this, not just people who went to seminary. Not just people who have a title of pastor or evangelist or what have you. Not just someone who has a certificate hanging on a wall. Every one of us as believers, this is a shared calling that we all have to preach the gospel and to make disciples. One last scripture here kind of in this rapid fire session. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 and verse 13 says this. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We see we are called to love one another, to serve one another, so it's not just those outside of the church. A lot of times we can see the need there. We can see, oh, we need to serve those who don't know Jesus. We need to do uh, all sorts of different events and outreaches for those that don't know Jesus that they might come to faith in Christ. And that's true. Yes, we do need to do that. That's very important. That's what we're all called to do. But let us not do that at the expense of forgetting that we're also called to wash each other's feet, to serve one another, to love one another right where one another is and help one another to grow, to spur one another on to good works. This is what we are all called to do as followers of Jesus. And here's the thing. This is the greatest part. We're all gifted and equipped by God himself to do this. Because we can't do any of this in our own strength. If it was left up to us to accomplish all of this, we would feel overwhelmed, intimidated, and never do anything. And unfortunately, that's where a lot of Christians sit. They sit on their hands, not doing anything, not saying yes to anything, because they're intimidated. They're afraid that, what if I get it wrong? They're afraid, what if I say the wrong things? What if I do the wrong things? They are so preoccupied with getting everything just right because they think it hinges on them and it hinges on their performance. I've been preaching the Bible almost every single week since I was 15 years old. Up until this point in my life, almost every single week I've taught the Bible in some way, shape, or form, whether from a pulpit or whether in a Sunday school class or whether in jails or whether on mission trips or whatever the case, I've taught the Bible almost every week of my life in some form or fashion since I was 15 years old. And can I tell you, there have been times when it didn't go that great. <laughs> I know, right? That's hard to believe. I, I get it. Like, like, it's amazing. You know, there have been times where it just straight up stunk and I thought, man, I bombed it. And I got it wrong. I, I stuttered the whole time, couldn't get my thoughts together. I was thinking about other things or I was worried about something or maybe I just wasn't properly prepared and I came out and I just couldn't get the words out right and I, I, and, and I couldn't say everything just the right way and I was so upset when it was done. And, and then when I would go say you know, goodbye to people who had to unfortunately suffer with me through that, you know what I would hear people say? That was the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Were you in the same thing that I was in? Because, you know, I was there too. And I, I, and I knew I wasn't properly prepared. Or I knew people would come with tears in their eyes. Oh, that touched me at the core. It was so powerful what you said today. It was? Huh. I thought it was awful. On the flip side of that, I've gotten in the car with my wife and said, man, I felt good about that sermon today. And she's like, no, no, no. Let me tell you here. No. No. Mm -mm. There were times where I thought it absolutely was terrible because of me. But 
something else happened that wasn't me. It was God doing something in you. I'll tell you what really blows me away as a preacher. When people come up to you and tell you what you preached about, and you're like, I didn't preach about that, but I'm glad you heard that. That's awesome. <laughs> people will come, you know, when you said this and when you said that, and, and I mean, it just helped me to see this and this, and I'm like, that's awesome. And then I walk away going, I didn't say any of those things. <laughs> because how is it, how is it that we can all gather, both online and here in this room, hundreds of people hearing someone teach something and we're all hearing, but yet we're all filtering differently. And the Holy Spirit is working personally because the Holy Spirit knows what you need. And maybe it's a part of something that was said. Or maybe it's another thought of something or a scripture that was read. Or maybe it's something that uh, was sung in a song. Or maybe even God anointed and used the announcements that day to spur your heart to something. I don't know. But whatever it was... God did something in you that was unique and it had nothing to do with me. You see, folks, we get way too dependent on ourselves and we get way too caught up in thinking somehow we have to create these amazing, memorable moments where we've accomplished something. No, 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 no. We can put our efforts in. We can do our part and be faithful because we are called to be good stewards. But I have to depend on the Holy Spirit. I have to know that if God's called me to this, that he's going to equip me to do it. When we sign, uh, have men and women sign up to be in our nation's military, we don't improperly equip them or not give them the tools necessary and drop them out of a plane somewhere and say, good luck, thanks for signing up. We just do that in children's church. No, I'm kidding. We don't do that. <laughs> we want to properly equip and that's what we want to do. That's our calling. That's what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 says. The fivefold ministry is given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edification of the body of Christ, till it is edifying itself in love and it's growing in unity. Amen? So we want to grow in this, and we're all called to grow in this, and God is going to equip you. What is your responsibility then? Your responsibility is to see the opportunity and to look at your gifts differently. Instead of looking at your gifts that God has given you as a merit badge that you should wear proudly, instead look at your gift as a servant towel to be able to wash one another's feet with. That's truly what our gifts are. They are servant towels. They are not merit badges. They are not trophies to be displayed in the case. They are servant's towels. And so I want to say this. Open your eyes to opportunities around you and keep your servant's towel handy because we are called out of self-absorption into servanthood. The way of the world, the way that everything is wired in our world is for us to be completely absorbed with self. Everything is personal, personizable, it's customizable, it's, it's, it's make it all yours and, and your way right away, and that's the world that we live in, and it creates consumers, and we're not called to be consumers, we're called to be servants. And we miss that because we somehow think that the church is all about us and what I get and what I want and how I want it and when I want it. We think that our lives are all about what we want. We get upset because we hit a string of red lights because shouldn't they know I have somewhere important to be? I'm a very important person. All the lights should have been green for me. I don't understand. I'm not going to pay my taxes now because the lights weren't green. They should have been green for me. And we get all puffed up. We got all upset because we think everything's supposed to cater to us. And we think that everything is all about us and we want it catered our way. 
and we miss the greater thing of being a servant. And we're not called into self-absorption, actually we're called out of it. That's what the calling that Jesus calls every one of us to is. He's calling us out of ourselves and he's calling us into serving. He's calling us into this life with him where we actually delight in him and it's a joy to serve, it's not a chore. It's a delight where we will intentionally inconvenience ourselves for the benefit of another person. That means on purpose, like I'm on purpose doing something that's making my life a little bit more inconvenient so someone else will get a reward and I don't care if I get the credit. Oh, that doesn't sound very fun. I mean, I at least want, you know, my name mentioned, right? No, it's not about my name. It's about elevating his name, amen? It's about praising him and elevating him and glorifying him, not elevating me. The church in the book of Acts got this, so why don't we flip over there and read a little bit about that. Acts chapter 2, go over to Acts 2, and as you're turning there, I'm going to set the scene. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks has been happening there. People from all over the region have come to Jerusalem to worship, and there's people of all different dialects, people of all different backgrounds, all different heritages. They're all coming back, and they're coming to worship, and they're coming to celebrate this Feast of Weeks, just like they did every day, every week, I mean every year. And they had this, this day, this day of Pentecost, and on the day of Pentecost, the disciples of Jesus were in the upper room and they were praying and the Holy Spirit descended on them. There were tongues of fire that set up on each one of them and they spoke and praised God in languages of some of those people who were represented and they heard, their, they heard God being praised in their own language. And they were like, how do these people know our language? And it wasn't like they said, well, we studied linguistics before we showed up because we were hoping there might be someone. No, it was the Holy Spirit doing something in them that was not of them. And when the Holy Spirit did this through them, people were wondering what's going on. Some people suppose maybe they're drunk and all of a sudden it made them more intelligent. That's not the way that normally goes. Ah, they're drunk and Peter, the disciple of Jesus stands up and he says, these men aren't drunk as you suppose. He said, actually this is the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. And he says, Joel prophesied about this hundreds of years prior that this day would come when the Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. And these are the types of things that would happen as a result. And so he's letting them know this is of God. This is not anything of another influence. No, this is God. This is not themselves. And then Peter begins to use that opportunity to preach the gospel and talk to this group of people about Jesus. And you know what the result of it was? 3,000 people came to Christ. That's a pretty good day. 3,000 people came to Christ in that moment. And God used it in a powerful way. But it, it, it wasn't something Peter prepared. It wasn't something that they conjured up in their own strength. It wasn't something where they all learned the languages. It was God doing something in that moment from people who were open to being used by God. People who were looking to be used by God. And then you see the result of this new group of Christians. And remember, these are 3,000 baby Christians. Oh my goodness. 3,000 baby Christians? The 
these people had not been through Sunday school classes. These people had not gone through Awana. These people had not um, memorized scripture yet. They haven't, you know, been able to, to, to talk about Jesus eloquently yet and trained on the Romans road. None of this stuff. They're new baby Christians. They just came to Christ. And they're so excited to serve Jesus. And this is how they responded to the message of the gospel. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they were attending the temple together. They were breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is revival. This is an amazing thing that's happening in a group of people who are primarily just new to this faith. I mean, they hadn't gone through, um, you know, uh, all of the different trainings like we have. They hadn't gone to a conference to learn how to do church better. They hadn't, you know, read the latest, greatest church growth book and the latest strategy. They hadn't done any of that. They just heard about Jesus. They received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then he transforms them. And how they respond is what we just read. The love of God just compels them to want to just devote themselves to each other and to the apostles' teaching. They want to learn. They're hungry to learn. They're hungry to pray. I'm the type of person that when I go to like a concert or something, if it's like an open seating thing, I want to be like the first person there because I want to get like the best seat. That's always been like something that I've really enjoyed is like, you know, rushing through the doors to get the best seat. These guys were doing that for like prayer meetings. Could you imagine if we had a line of people waiting for our church doors to open to get into a prayer meeting? It's what they're doing. They can't wait to get together to pray. They're so excited about it. They want to receive communion together. We just, we just want to do that thing that Jesus told us to do to, to remember him. And we want to keep that fresh in our hearts. Not to go through some religious ritual but because we love him and we want to remember and we want to think on it and we want to examine our hearts and we we want to worship him and serve him and dedicate our lives to him and and oh wait a minute you, you have a need oh well I, I can i can help you with that i would be more than happy i'll inconvenience myself you, you need help uh, uh, what do you need they were distributing the things to one another as each one had need it, it was this idea of community and loving each other and serving each other. And they were joyful. They were glad. And they didn't see this as a chore. It wasn't, well, oh, so-and-so's got another need again. They were joyful about it. They, they were attending the temple together, worshiping God together. They were, they, they were finding favor with the people. They just, they just had favor. People were like, man, those people are happy people. I want to hang out with them. They had favor with the other people and it made people go, I want in. Tell me about the change in you. Tell me about what's going on. And so because of that, the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. None of these people 
sat down and got all this training on it, what were they doing? They were just in awe of Jesus. And they were responding to the gospel. And they were saying yes to something greater. And they were saying no to their selfish ambitions. They were saying no to their selfish desires. And they were saying yes to Jesus. And it caused a radical change in them and a revival in their region. Because, church, it's not about me. And it's not about what I get or don't get. The church is not somewhere that we go. It's who we are. Amen? Every day. Church is every day. Not just us gathering in a, in a building. And I love that we get to gather in a building. I think it's awesome. I love that. I, I think it's a big deal. It's important. But it's not the end of church. It's not where it stops. No, this is where we gather and we remember, yeah, that's right. These are the people I love. These are the people that love the God I love. These are the people that I want to do life with and serve. And I want to inconvenience myself for. And I want to do life and do ministry with them because I'm responding to what Christ has done for me. That's why we said in Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you in light of the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. He says this is your reasonable act of worship. And then he says, and don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can prove what is that holy and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, our minds have to be transformed to think the way God wants us to think because we can drift back into self-absorption. Even after coming into Christ, we can forget whose we are and who we are, and we can drift back over into thinking, oh, it's all about me. And I need to be reminded through the gospel of what Christ has done for me, and it should change my mentality so that I can prove what the holy and acceptable and perfect will of God is by the way that I present my body as a living sacrifice. It's a response to the gospel, amen? And so here's how we're going to discover our gifts. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? You ready for your mind to be blown? You ready to have one of these moments? And I'm not, I'm not like down on like the spiritual gifts assessments and the tests and the things that you take. I think those things can be helpful. But I think there's a different way that we can discover our gifts. Are you ready? Ready. Get your pens and papers ready. Get your fingers ready to type. Discovering God's gift in you starts with saying yes to the opportunities in front of you. I know, right? I know, it blows my mind too. It's gotta be something more than that. I mean, I paid 25 bucks for a spiritual gifts test. I mean, that's gotta be, no, 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 I get it, I understand. Nothing wrong with those things, I'm not down on those things, I like that stuff. But at the same time, the quickest way to you discovering how God's gifted you is saying yes to the opportunities right in front of you. We miss those opportunities because we're waiting on a sign. Oh. We're waiting on a light to shine through our bedroom window and wake us up and a voice. And we're waiting on all that stuff. And we're missing the things that are right in front of us. We're missing the coworker who's having a bad day. And we're missing the opportunity for us to go, hey, can I pray with you? I notice you're struggling today. We miss that, and you wanna know why we miss it? Because it's maybe not as, as grand as perhaps how we thought it should be. Or maybe we're afraid to do that because we're afraid of getting it wrong. And maybe we're like, well, 
I mean, I see they're having a bad day. They're being really grumpy, and I want to go pray for them, but what if I say it wrong? Like, what if I get it wrong? And what if the words I say actually make them not become a Christian instead of become a Christian because I don't say it right? And then what if, you know, I start stuttering? What if I say, like, um, uh, and, you know, what if I say all those things, and what if I get it wrong? And if I get it wrong, then, you know, I, it could be a catastrophe. They could, you know, I could be embarrassed. Then they'd know I'm a Christian. And then if they know I'm a Christian, I'd be embarrassed because they'd know I'm not a very good one. But then I have to tell them, you know, but I go to church a lot, and I, you know, I'm involved, and I give, and I do good things. But then I'm boasting, and I'm proud, and I got to be humble. And, and I just don't want to get and we overthink all of this we overthink it why because when we do that we're depending on ourselves to get it right here's what i have to do folks take a deep breath holy spirit i know you've gifted me and called me to do this i see that this person i care about at work and that you care about i see that they're struggling give me the words to say because I don't have them. Hey, I notice you're having a bad day. You don't seem like your normal self. Would you mind if I prayed for you? And you just start praying. And you know what? Through all the ums and the uhs and the you knows and the stuttering, God can use it just like he used all those times that I thought I'd bombed in a sermon. Because it's not about you. God is not looking for you to perform. He's looking for you to be available so he can perform his will through you and show how he's bigger than you, not so you can get the credit, but so he can get the credit. That's how gifts work. And gifts work when we identify opportunities in front of us that we stand up and say yes to. And that means that where there's a need, I stand up and I say yes. That means that where there's an opportunity, I stand up and I say yes. Because in the church of Jesus Christ, there should be no lack amongst the saints. Because all of us are just too busy serving each other and loving one another and being generous with our time, talent, and treasure. That there's just no need because we're loving each other so efficiently. That's the way this thing was meant to work. Discovering your gifts starts with you saying yes. But saying yes to eternal things requires that we willingly inconvenience ourselves for the benefit of others. It requires that we on purpose, intentionally, inconvenience ourselves for other people. That's what saying yes to eternal things looks like. That means, guess what? It may not fit in the calendar. It may not fit in your schedule, but you're going to have to say no to lesser things so you can say yes to greater things. That's what it means to sacrifice. It means saying no to comfort. It means saying no to ease. It means saying no to what's convenient. And it may be inconvenient for me, but it is for eternity, and it's going to make a difference in eternity. And if I get the credit for it or not, it doesn't matter because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And it's about living my life and doing everything that I do as a response to what he's done for me. Amen, church? You have gifts, every one of you, and they're different. Some of you have gifts of influence. God has connected you with networks of people that can do amazing things for the kingdom of God who, or who are leaders and have influence in significant areas that if they were to be led to Christ or you were to influence them to use their influence for Christ, more people would hear the good news about Jesus. Some of you have a gift of affluence to where God has blessed you and he's given you a mind to be able to know how to make money and how to do well in business and you can use and leverage your affluence for the kingdom of God to do things all over the world 
world that matter more than your comfort. God has blessed some of you with incredible passion to serve him with a tenacity that is a gift, and God has given that to you, not to just be passionate about sports, not to just be passionate about keeping your lawn green, but to be passionate about the things of God and things that matter in eternity. Some of you have had skills honed in the business world or skills that God has given you where you do things with your hands or the way your mind works and God has gifted you in those things not just for your comfort not just to make your life easier here but so that you can impact and influence eternity some of you God has given you a burden and that burden weighs on you and it breaks your heart when you hear about travesties and injustices in our world don't just be saddened over it do something about it because could that be the gift of God in you that launches you into something that's making a difference in eternity and gives you great purpose. God has given some of you interests where you're interested in things, but you're afraid to step out. I want to encourage you to step into that interest. Some of you, God's given you the gift of time and you're available. Are you using your time to just coast through life? Or are you using your time to say yes to greater things? Because greater things are what we're called to and we're all gifted to greater things if we'll trust in God and stop trusting in ourselves, if we'll see what he's done, if we'll see the position he's put us in, and he's put us in this position for a reason, and it's greater than our own comfort, it's greater than our own uh, uh, accolades and, and being promoted and elevated by other people, it's greater than that, that's not the goal. The goal is the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto Seek first his kingdom. Say yes to greater things. What opportunities are in front of you to invest in eternity? You see, church, we get to lead people into a life-transforming relationship with Jesus while at the same time he's transforming us. There's nothing greater. Amen? Amen. Let's take our communion elements this morning. And I want you to open up the bread, and I want you to hold on to it as we get ready to close our time together. And I want us to close with communion this morning so that we can remember the gift that was so freely given to us in Jesus Christ. And as we remember this gift, as we think on this, our response should be worship. Our response should be yes to greater things. Our response should be us willing to lay down our lives for the benefit of others and for the glory of God as we think on what he did for us today. So I want us to take these individually today as we think on what Christ has done. So I want to pray, and then I want us to just take the bread, and then we're going to pray again, and we're going to receive the juice. And I want us to think on what it represents. And so, Lord, we come before you humbly today, and we thank you for your gift of your life, that you who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus you who knew no sin, you took the stripes, the punishment on your back, even though it was due to us, even though the chastisement should have been ours, instead of us being chastised, we get peace, peace with God because of what you did for us by giving your body as a substitute, as that perfect Lamb of God, that sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world, that makes us new, that makes us right in the eyes of God. And we thank you as we remember you this morning by receiving the Lord's Supper.
Let it stir our hearts to worship and let it stir us to saying yes to greater things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you receive the bread together? Now let's prepare to receive this juice together that represents the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow. We thank you, Jesus, for your blood. We thank you that your blood was never tainted by sin, that your blood is spotless and perfect in every single way, that you are that perfect spotless lamb of God, and that your precious blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat of heaven, not once a year like on the day of atonement, but once and for all. That that blood is still crying forth mercy, that that blood is still opening the door for reconciliation between man and God. And we thank you for your blood that was shed because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And we thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood for us, for dying for us. And we honor you today. And may we be stirred to say yes to greater things and live our lives as a sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you receive the cup? Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had together as a church family. Whether we're here in the room, whether we're watching online, Lord, we thank you for this time. And this time, may it be something that is a milestone in our relationship with you that we can, from this point, continue to grow, continue to say yes. Whether that's something here in the context of our local church here at BCC, or whether that's something outside of the church, whatever it is, let us always have and awareness of you leading and calling us and guiding us. And may we depend on you and trust in you because you are the gift giver. Help us to say yes to greater things together. In Jesus' name.